Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. No special announcements or anything this week, so let's jump right into it. First up, 8-Bit Doe just announced a customizable arcade stick that's selling for $90 and is available for pre-order right now, and they claim it'll ship in late October. And there's a a few pretty cool things about this that are very unique. Um, The first is that it'll work over USB, Bluetooth, and it also has a 2.4 gigahertz RF dongle uh, that's stored inside it that you could use to connect that way, which I think is great because it covers absolutely all grounds. Then you could also use their custom software to remap any of the buttons. And another really unique thing is there's LED lights underneath that when you remap things will actually light a different LED and thereby expose different lettering underneath. So I'm trying to describe it for people listening to audio only, which I guess is about half of you these days. Um, Anybody watching on YouTube or BitChute knows what this is, but uh, essentially it's like it's an overlay that has letters cut out that you can't really see when it's off, but when the LEDs light up behind it, it'll expose that letter. And that's how they get away with changing both the layout and the actual software of the buttons. So it's pretty cool. I don't think I've seen that before in an arcade stick, and I thought that was a really neat uh, a neat addition to it. Um, it's being advertised as compatible with the Nintendo Switch and Windows, but I can't imagine it not being compatible with anything that's compatible with a basic USB controller. So that's got to be Mr. That's got to be any Android phone with Bluetooth. Um, so overall, it, it's pretty neat. It also uh, supposedly is made with really high quality arcade parts, but it's also compatible with a long list of other types of sticks and buttons, should you want to customize it yourself uh, in order to tweak it and, and kind of set it up to your liking. So while well, I'm excited about all of these things. There's a few things about this that are just really, it kind of like misses the mark in at least their announcements. And I kind of have my suspicions as to why, but it's my very strong opinion that if you're going to try to sell an arcade stick that's geared toward the pro gamer, right? You just, their press release just bragged about how it's compatible with all of these different parts. Then why wouldn't you include lag test results? Because I don't care what era of gaming you like, if your controller is laggier than the stock controller for that console, then it's not going to be good enough for a pro. And it's, uh, you know, it stinks that we have to rely on ourselves, the community, to test these. I mean, there's, there's zero reason why a company like this shouldn't just say, hey, you know, latency is definitely going to vary depending on wireless interference, but here it is over USB, and here it is in a clean room without any outside interference. You know, here's our list of numbers. Why do we have to rely on pork chops lists, which, by the way, is awesome, and I will be doing a completely separate thing all about that. But, you know, why do we have to rely on each other 
for these things the manufacturers should be providing. Now, maybe I'm wrong. I'm, I'm wrong all the time. So if, if you are a controller maker or if you have inside info on this stuff, please feel free to let me know in the comments and I'll, I'll correct it if I need to be. But as somebody who worked for a hardware manufacturing company, something like stats like this, the only reason you wouldn't brag about them is if you were trying to hide them or if there was clever marketing tricks involved. So... Uh, you know, love to hear everybody's opinions on that. I'm I'm very excited for it. Ninety dollars is cheap compared to the cost of a lot of other pro sticks, and if it performs even somewhat decently well and is reprogrammable and is compatible with all of these protocols, it should be a great choice for almost anybody. Either uh, somebody starting out who wants something that, that versatile, or just somebody who wants something that can work with a whole bunch of different consoles at once. So I'm very excited for it. I just wish they would take the time to post real numbers and instead of just kind of leave it up to us to guess. So, Gamebox Systems has just announced a follow-up to last year's DMG Consolizer. Um, this one is the GBHD Color Consolizer. So last year, the company released a device that allowed you to turn an original Game Boy into a consolized version with VGA out and the ability to plug in an NES controller. And this one is a follow-up with a Game Boy Color and also allows you to plug in a Super Nintendo controller and outputs 720p via HDMI. So that's pretty cool. It's certainly um, it, it's it certainly covers a different type of ground. Um, the one kind of odd thing about this one is if you want the small version of the case, you have to cut the Game Boy Color controller in half. Um, or not the controller, the actual Game Boy Color itself. Uh, but they are uh, offering an option that has a full case that doesn't require any cutting or anything like that. And, you know... Just a personal opinion, do whatever you feel like, but when I have to do things like cut traces on a motherboard, I know that I could always put that back, and unless it's a see-through case, you're not really going to see anything like that, so... I don't mind so much working on the circuit boards. I don't like cutting any plastics, obviously. That's why I started hashtag no cut mod. Um, but cutting an entire circuit board in half is a little much for me. So I think if I were to get this, I would want the big sized version. But listen, there's a lot of Game Boys out there that have uh, battery damage because batteries exploded and maybe the whole bottom of your Game Boy Color motherboards completely shot anyway, so it wouldn't matter. But I just found that weird and wanted to point that out. But anyway... Um, it looks like it does. It uses linear scaling to do a 5x 800 by 12 uh, 720 letterboxed image. So it is actually integer scaled to 720, which is a good resolution for it. Um, and it just it looks like a really cool kit. Um, you know, I'm obviously a giant fan of the Game Boy Advance consoleizer, but there those have been notoriously hard to get over the past. Well, I mean, ever really. So if your favorite games are that of Game Boy Color or original Game Boy, now you have two extra options to go with um, you know the VGA original Game Boy version or the color version of this uh, and I just I always really appreciate other options and other ways of, of going about getting things like this so um, hopefully we'll see reviews of this soon and uh, it just looks like a pretty neat product for Game Boy Color fans. The final list of games was just announced for Sega's Astro City Mini emulation console. And I'm not going to go through the whole list, but if anybody's curious, the full list is up and all of the ones that were just announced are marked with a star, which includes Space Harrier. Um, notably, there is no Afterburner or Outrun, uh, which I don't know if that's for licensing issues or what, but that's pretty disappointing as those are some pretty iconic Sega games. And, you know, it remains to be seen if this is going to be something that's worth playing or really just a toy. And every time I say that, a lot of people get offended, but just the truth is, 
you know, for for something that's over a hundred dollars, it's it's really hard to justify buying it as anything other than a collector's item unless it could actually play games accurately. And if it's anything like the Neo Geo Mini, it seems like it might end up just being kind of a toy. But I hope I'm wrong. I, I, I hope that these things get released and people figure out that, you know, maybe it's uh, too small to comfortably play on it, but maybe with a USB controller and HDMI out, it's a lot more fun. I don't know. That all remains to be seen, but definitely keep your, uh, keep your expectations in check until people get their hands on it and really try it out. Now, in that same Sega announcement that talked about the final games for the Astro City Mini, they also announced an Astro City arcade stick. And this I'm actually excited about. Uh, it looks to be modeled off the same control panel of the Astro City cabinet and claims to use some real Sanwa parts, just like the original. And it looks to be the correct size and shape for something like this. It's not like a mini arcade stick to match the mini console. Um, so there really isn't any specs on it other than it's uh, $120 and will ship on December 17th. So, you know, uh, arcade sticks are those things that if I had room and the money, I would love to collect a bunch of these. And this actually looks really cool. Um, as long as it's a low latency USB controller, this should be good for use with Mr. or I guess even any kind of emulation or Raspberry Pi. And if you want to, you could always replace the guts in these things and make them uh, direct controllers for super guns, uh, which means there would be zero latency if you wire it yourself like that. And there's also a ton of mod boards like the MC Cthulhu and the Brook Retro stuff that you could add. So uh, I'm definitely excited for this. Hopefully somebody locally will grab one and I'll be able to check it out in person. But I'm way more excited for the the really cool looking arcade stick than I am for the mini. So hopefully this will look uh, turn out to be something pretty fun. A small firmware update was just released for the DC Digital, which is the internal digital-to-digital HDMI mod for the Dreamcast that I absolutely love. Um, some of this is focused on installers and just making things easier for people to set up, but there's also a new thin scanline setting, thanks to SVT Terminator. So... While this is something that's not the biggest deal, I always just recommend for a product like this, just update the firmware when you can, because that's one of the things about these products from Dan and Kristoff, is to update the firmware, all you have to do is be connected to Wi-Fi. There's no craziness, There's no you don't even have to download something and put it onto an SD card, you just press a button while connected to Wi-Fi, so you might as well keep up with the latest and always get the, the newest features for it. So, as always, thanks to both of them for continuing to support this product and it's definitely one of my favorite Dreamcast mods out there. There's a few updates to the Mode Project, the multi-optical disc emulator that works with both the Dreamcast and the Saturn. Um, first is a firmware update that has a bunch of bug fixes and some compatibility fixes, as well as a fix, or at least a potential fix, for noise that a few Saturn models had that introduced CDDA audio issues. So if you had any of those problems, uh, definitely upgrade the firmware. When I did the review, it definitely didn't have any issues, but I probably had a, you know, a a more compatible version of the motherboard where I didn't have any of the sound things and every game I tried on it for both consoles seemed to work. Also, they updated the database for any of the cover art, which added more accurate title information, better screenshots, and some more game covers. Um, just my opinion. I'm not, I'm not saying this is right or wrong or anything like that, but I really just preferred the list view. I thought it was snappy. I thought I got right to the game as quickly as possible. I just, I really appreciated it. Um, whereas I guess if I only had a few titles on there, maybe I just loaded up like my 20 favorite games or something. The, the full uh, screenshot view would have been 
cool, but I dumped a ton of different games on there, and it just felt a lot more sluggish. So that's really just your own choice in that one, whatever you prefer. You know, does it mean a lot to you to have the artwork on there? You get that that shot of nostalgia, because it does kind of make you feel like you're choosing your game the same way you would if you had the original, or are you just impatient like I am and just want to get straight to your game and start playing? But either way, it's awesome that Terra Onion's keeping up with all of this stuff, um, and I just I appreciate the continued support for all of this because I think this is uh, this is probably going to be the go-to optical drive emulator for at least the Dreamcast for the foreseeable future. It looks like Amiga fans have more cool case choices now, as Stephen Jones, the man behind the Checkmate 815 computer case, has just released a new retro-inspired case called the Amiga Mini, which is modeled off of the original Amiga A3000. And this will fit mini ITX motherboards, and I believe it'll also fit something like a Raspberry Pi in there as well. And I, one of my favorite things when I was using Raspberry Pi for uh, for movie streaming, I'd, I used to use that to stream 3D movies to my 3D TV because it just worked so well. I loved the retro cases. I had mine in a, a mini Super Nintendo 3D printed case. Um, I've seen the Sega ones out there. So now Amiga fans have that option as well. And I think a few people were asking to uh, asking Steven to do a Mr. Case, and he said he would uh, he could put up the CAD drawings for possibly letting other people tweak the case as well. So that's pretty neat. I, I just always appreciate little details like this because at the end of the day, like the what something looks like that you're using has nothing to do with how well it performs. But it's always cooler when it looks neat. So it's definitely a, a pretty cool design and something Amiga fan should at least check the video out. I just posted a video about the open source scan converter that was really meant to get people started. And for some reason, I'm just really proud of this video. I don't know why. I don't think it's my best video I've ever done. I just, I finished it and I just had such a, a unique sense of completion. I don't know why. This one just stood out to me. But I think I did a decent job explaining that, it, you know, and especially getting the point across that all you need to do to use an OSSC is plug it in and set the input. And if you want to mess with resolutions, you can, or I guess you might have to if there's incompatibilities. And then if you want to upgrade the firmware and you want to do custom profiles, I just, I really wanted to give everybody a sense of what it's like to use it and take away some of the fear a lot of people had. Um, because I do, and I'm guilty of this too, I, I miss word things and, and say things like, oh, well, to get the best out of it, you need to dial in optimal timings, which is a pain. And while that's true, that doesn't mean that you get a bad experience out of just plugging it in and using it. So I figured I'd uh, go through and, and go through all the details of this. And I also wanted to do this video now, not just because it's a mature product that, you know, this video is probably going to be evergreen because I don't think there's going to be that drastic changes to it anytime soon, but because of all the digital to digital internal mods that are out. And I think uh, a lot of people have talked about, well, how much better than this than the OSSC are these mods. And you really need to put into perspective what it takes to get these same kind of settings. You know, it's not just the fact that you'll always have a tiny bit of interference going from analog to digital, and the higher you scale that, the more that interference becomes noticeable. It's also that while you can get, take something like the PS1 digital or the DC digital, you can dial in optimal timings on the OSSC, and you can get an image that's almost as sharp, if not as sharp, but you might have aspect ratio issues. You're going to have to figure out what resolution each game is in, set the phase for each resolution. And by no means am I 
talking down about the OSSC when I say all those things. It's quite the opposite. I still hold it very high on a pedestal. The opposite side is just that I want to give that much more credit to these internal digital mods because it's not just about getting a little bit more clarity. It's taking the time to do this or paying an installer to do it for you gains you the ease of never even having to think about any of this stuff. You just plug it in, set your resolution, set your options, and you're done. Whereas the OSSC, if you if you want something that sharp, takes some more effort. Um, and if you don't, it's still an awesome product. Uh, the only things I didn't go into too much detail about, because I just I was trying so hard not to confuse people, are compatibility and a 256 pixel resolution trick. So I'll just super quick go through it in case any of your friends watch the video and you know they have questions, you know how to answer it now. But my first TV that I owned when the OSSC came out was only compatible with 2x mode, not 3, 4, or 5. And then the TVs I've had since have been compatible. I think one is compatible with all modes and the other has issues with 5x with some consoles but not others. And I didn't want to go into too much detail because I didn't want to confuse people. And the bottom line is it's going to work. I've never found a TV or monitor that it just didn't work at all. It always works. It's just sometimes it's only a different or a specific resolution. But I also wanted to go over an aspect ratio trick that Firebrand X taught me. Um, and it's... Uh, I wrote about it in the post, so I'm not going to go through all of it right now. But basically, there's one setting for 256 wide pixel games that if you're in 5x mode, you can get a pixel perfect look with a very, very close to original aspect ratio. It might be a little wider, but certainly not more than a 320 pixel would be. So you could actually really get the look but only in 5x mode because it does an integer scale of one more wide than it does tall. And the way the math works is the, you know, 5x is near perfect. When you get up to like 7 or 8x, it, you know, now you're actually at a perfect CRT resolution or width aspect ratio. So I, I didn't want to talk about it because in 720p mode, that same method is too wide. And, you know, depending on which mode, so 5X is the least compatible mode, especially with Super Nintendo. So I didn't want to harp on it, but I did get a lot of questions about that from people who had either heard about it or who had done this themselves. So I felt like including it in the post was a better way to handle it, because if you're just a beginner, all this extra crap doesn't confuse you. Um, but if you know enough to go looking for the answer, it's right there in the post. So I would love to hear your thoughts on all of this. Did I, did I do that the right way? Should I have included it Anyway, it's always such a, a really hard balance of putting so much info in that you confuse people or not putting enough info in so you leave people not knowing the next steps. Hopefully I got it right, um, but I, I'm definitely really proud of the video. So if you know anybody that was looking to get into the OSSC, maybe show them this one and hopefully it could point them in the right direction. Samson 7.1 was one of the lucky few that got their satiator out of the first batch from Professor Abrasive, um, and he was nice enough to post a full retail release review. And a lot of the stuff is the same as the beta review that I did, but he showed pictures of the box and the installation and really put everything in perspective. Um, I really appreciated uh, all of the addition in the context of, you know, it is still beta firmware, but it does seem to be a perfectly finished piece of hardware. Um, and it does show the things that are still very lacking. Like uh, the menu definitely seems to look like a beta menu. However, 
I'm always the person that says I don't, you know, I don't care if the menu's fancy, get me right to my game. And on top of that, Professor Abrasive open sourced the menu on GitHub. So if anybody would like to make a fancy menu for it, that's completely up to them. Uh, so that would be pretty cool. The other thing that I thought was really awesome that I asked if Samson would be able to do um, would be able to do just a completely separate uh, post or video or whatever on is that there's now the ability, um, thanks to a homebrew save game copier that allows you to copy your save games from the Saturn to the SD card on the Satiator, Satiator, whatever, and then I guess copy them back. And that, in my opinion, is a pretty big deal for a bunch of reasons. I mean, one, you don't need the the save RAM cart anymore in the top, but also you might not even need to do the FRAM mod because even if you have a bad battery or no battery in it, whenever you're done with your game, reset it to the satiator menu, back the game up to the SD card, and then, you know, that's it. Then you don't have to worry. And then when you plug your Saturn back in, just save it back down. As long as it's a quick and easy process, which I, I don't know, I haven't, I don't have one to try yet, but as long as it's a quick and easy process, then that w- would probably be a good solution for a lot of people. Not to mention the fact that a lot of people just enjoy backing up their save games anyway. So uh, I'm definitely excited to see the, a future post on that. And I should be getting mine in a couple of weeks, I guess. So um, to be honest, from everything I've read, it seems like this post is a good enough follow-up and I don't need to do another video on it. Uh, but if you are curious and you do want some visual examples, check out the the beta video I did months ago, last year, whatever it was. Um, and definitely check out Samson's post because it really gave good perspective to how it's, well, the good in, uh, of what's changed and what we're still waiting for. A group of computer scientists from two different universities have created an emulator Game Boy box that kind of looks like a Game Boy, but it's covered in solar panels. And it's not only powered by the solar panels, but every time you press the buttons, that generates a little bit of power as well. And the power is stored in a capacitor, not in a battery. And while at the moment, a full charge and, you know, continuing to play with pushing the buttons only lasts about 10 seconds while playing a game, it's really a proof of concept that that's more important than the project itself. Um, Because uh, approaching devices this way guarantee longevity, uh, as well as a completely different approach to how things are made. And I just, as a nerd, I absolutely loved this. And even more importantly, they plan on open sourcing the entire thing when they uh, do the official unveiling and announcement, which will be September 12th during the 2020 UbiComp. Um, and to be honest, I, I really debated whether I wanted to write this now or write this after the September 12th, uh, 12th unveiling of it. Um, I was originally planning on waiting so I could also post the open source link and all that stuff, but it started to take shape outside of just nerd publications. It was getting picked up by other blogs, so I thought, well, what the heck, let's tell everybody about it now. But I'm really fascinated by the concept of this, and I would love to have some of my hardware nerd friends take a look at the full open source design and see where other uh, other places that this could be implemented. And if it doesn't require you know, if the capacitor stores the battery that long and you don't need to draw that much, there's a bunch of little devices that could really benefit from something like this. I mean, imagine a Dreamcast VMU that could just, you sit it on your table in the sun and, and never the battery never dies, you never have to replace it. 
um, you know, there's a bunch of little things. I'm, I'm using video game examples, but any of my fellow nerds watching this probably already have the gears turning in their brain of, of what you could do with stuff like this. So I was very impressed by it and definitely wanted to share it. And after the open source gets released, if something relevant pops up, I'll write another post. But I think this should be good enough for now. And the full story on CNET uh, is much more detailed than the video in my post and really gives you all the info that's available about this project at the moment. There's been some updates to the Super Game Boy Core available on the FX pack, formerly known as the SD to SNES. First, the developer Redacted said that they believe this latest version of the core is going to be the last. They think they've gotten most of the bugs worked out, um, and while there's probably other implementation stuff that needs to be tweaked on the FX pack side in order for it to be called perfect enough to roll into the official firmware, um, they believe all of the bugs that were found have been ironed out. Uh, which is awesome in itself, but also another developer, Furious, has just uh, released an unofficial firmware that combines that as well as the, as well as the save state firmware and some new mem- menu options. Uh, and part of the menu options include one of the other features that Redacted put into the last version of the Super Game Boy Core, which is being able to toggle between the original speed and the Super Game Boy 2 speed. So just a, a quick, quick, brief history. Um, the Super Game Boy didn't run at the same speed as the original Game Boy did. So you'd get a bunch of screen tearing and the music would be slightly different. I'm not sure if most people could hear the difference because it's a hair different, but it is technically faster. Whereas the Super Game Boy 2 runs at the same speed as the original Game Boy and everything should line up just right. So this toggle allows you to go back and forth between both the original or the Super Game Boy 2 clock speed, which for most people, I think you would just want to leave it on the Super Game Boy 2. Uh, But it's still pretty neat that you have that option. I'm sure there's a, a million reasons I'm not even thinking of that that would be fun to go back. So Uh, I spoke to Akari, uh, and he said he's not quite ready to roll those into the official firmware yet, uh, but there's nothing wrong with using this one. It's impossible to do any damage by using it. Uh, The only thing I would suggest is take the SD to SNES folder that's currently on your SD card and rename that same thing, but like underscore original. Load this one up, uh, copy your save game files over, and that way, should you have any issues at all, you could always just go right back to the other firmware. And there's no flashing or anything like that. It's just simply whatever's in the directory uh, will load that firmware, which is really awesome. So uh, thanks very much to everybody involved in this, and thanks to Ronnie for writing this up so clearly. And lastly, GC Loaders will be back up for sale Thursday, September 10th. So that's tomorrow if you're listening to this the day it was released. And it will be at 10 a.m. Eastern Time on both the U.S. store and the European store, both at the same time. So these things have have sold out immediately every time they've gone up for sale. Uh, There should be a lot more available this time. But uh, if you're a fan of the GameCube and you've been waiting on one of these, definitely immediately at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, Thursday, September 10th, jump up and buy one of these. Uh, It really is an amazing optical drive emulator. It's very fast, and I was very impressed with it when I started using it. Uh, A few suggestions, though. If you're going to install it, you don't need anything else, but picking up the 3D printed tray from LaserBear accomplishes a few things. First, it's a very nice look to it, which is never needed, but always appreciated. Um, but it also fills in the hole where the CDs, uh, CD tray would be. So now there's no chance of you dropping something inside the GameCube when you open the lid. Um, and you don't have to reach your hand in in order to get to the SD card. And that's something that anybody that's used an ODE has probably dealt with. You know, you're, you pull the SD card out to 
add a game to it. You put it back in. It falls in. Now you got to take the case off to get it. Um, and the last thing it does is break the SD card slot out to an extension reader. So you just pop the top and you have access to the SD card right there. So I, I really, really like this. I do think people should at least consider it, uh, especially for the, the price, $15, very reasonable. Um, if you're on a budget, just pick up the GC loader and come back and get this at a different time. And the only other very strong suggestion I have is that people use Swiss, which is my favorite piece of software for the GameCube. And I, I even use it with original discs. Uh, but if you're not aware, um, you're, you could set, uh, you could drop the Swiss file on an SD card, uh, rename it, I think, autoexec.doll or, or boot.doll. It's all in the instructions, but it'll automatically boot directly to Swiss. And then you could select your games from that and be able to have all of the amazing options that Swiss allows, like forcing resolutions. Um, I have my GC loader in a PAL GameCube. So I set Swiss to boot itself into NTSC mode, because that's what most of my displays are. And I'm able to launch games forced to NTSC mode all the time. So even though I have the RGB output of a PAL GameCube, I still get to run it in NTSC. So I could probably talk for an hour about Swiss, but I think that's a good enough uh uh, overview of everything that you might need. So if you were looking for a GC loader, definitely pick one up tomorrow, September 10th, and hopefully they'll be in stock for more than like a minute this time. Well, that's it for this time. As always, thanks so much to everybody that watches and listens. Thanks to everybody that plays nice in the comments. And especially thank you to everybody that supports on Floatplane and Patreon. Because without you, none of these videos, the behind the scenes research, or any of this stuff could happen. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you soon.